Welcome to Resilient You, a podcast with personal resilience expert Steve Leventhal, brought to you by Corestone. Development starts inside. This is Steve Leventhal here on the Resilient You podcast. My guest today is Dr. Barbara Fredrickson. Barbara is among the most highly cited scholars in psychology, most known for her broaden and build theory of positive emotions, a blueprint for how a pleasant emotional states contribute to resilience, well-being, and health. Barbara is director of the Positive Emotions and Psychophysiology Laboratory at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. She's founding co-chair of the Association of Positive Emotion Laboratories and she's the current president of the International Positive Psychology Association. Barbara's published more than 100 peer-reviewed articles and book chapters and her general audience books, Positivity and Love 2.0 have been translated from more than 30 foreign markets. In 2014, Barbara was identified as the 13th most influential psychologist alive today. Barbara, I'm so glad you could join us today. Welcome to the Resilient You podcast. Oh, happy to be here. I should correct one minor thing in the introduction. I'm a past president of the International Positive Psych Association. I should have caught that. But you were a great president. So in my mind, you'll always be the president. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. I'll take that. Sure. So Barbara, as far as I'm concerned, you are the preeminent guru on positive emotions. And I'm wondering if we could just briefly start with an explanation for everybody about what is the broaden and build model of positive emotions, what it tells us in terms of increasing not only our positive emotions, but also our positive behaviors and positive experiences. Yeah, well, I got interested in positive emotions early on in my career, simply because there was, you know, in the very beginning of the renewal of interest in affective science, all the focus was on negative emotions, fear, anger, disgust, sadness, and theories about why those states evolved in humans were being articulated. And there were really no good theories for explaining why we humans also experience positive emotions. And so in thinking about that intellectual puzzle, I realized that some of the benefits of positive emotions show up in the moment that you experience them, and some of the benefits show up much later um, as we experience a steady diet of positive emotions. And so the broaden and build theory has these two time um, frames within it. Uh, Positive emotions are fleeting. They last seconds, maybe minutes. And during those seconds or minutes that we experience a positive emotion, our the way our brain works is fundamentally altered so that we take in more information. We have a more expansive view um, that is not only true of the, the way people take in information, it's also true of the way they hold their, uh, their comportment, how, how people carry themselves through the world. They're, they have a more expansive posture. Those moments of broadened awareness, of broadened activity, or, or even just being in the world, they're not inconsequential, even though they're fleeting. They're not inconsequential because they, they function like nutrients that help us to become better versions of ourselves. And so that's the build part of the theory, that there's a little by little, by experiencing ordinary, mild, positive emotions in daily life, we 
put ourselves on trajectories of growth that help us become more resilient, more socially connected, physically healthier too. Beautiful. So as you mentioned, you know, these, the, 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 the emotions are often momentary, but still have quite a bit of effect on our behaviors and on our experiences. And you know, it seems to me that one of the defining characteristics is that they are fleeting. And also that emotions turn from one extreme to another on a dime, right? Like I, I might be feeling great driving in my car. I've got the music blaring. It's a beautiful day. And then suddenly someone cuts me off in traffic and, I, and you know, in a heartbeat, I've switched to, to road rage. And uh, not me, but other people. So, um, you know, I'm just wondering, given the moment to moment nature of emotions, what has your research shown? Or, you know, what can you tell us about how do you turn this tool into something that leads to a more enduring positive experience. Yeah, well, one of the things I think is worth mentioning is that, you know, it's all emotions are valuable. There's not like we should always be feeling positive emotions and never be feeling negative emotions. And whether an emotion is valuable for us or helpful for us often depends on how it fits with our current circumstances. So emotions are evolution's way of having fitting thoughts come to mind when you're in certain circumstances. So when you perceive danger, a fitting thought is how are you going to keep yourself safe? <laughs> um, when you're perceiving a social opportunity, a fitting thought is, oh, is it safe? Can I connect with this person? So um, emotions change on a dime because our circumstances change on a dime. <laughs> so, you know, as you, as you mentioned, is, you know, some, some relationship between you and the world uh, usually has to change before an emotion is uh, triggered. Now, we can also create emotions by um, changing the ways that we think as well. So it's not always about the external world, but knowing that that can help us identify when our emotions, negative and positive are helpful to us. We feel like they become disconnected from our current circumstances. Those are the emotions that might be less useful for us, whether they're positive or negative. I mean, um, depression could be, you know, you feel, um, sad and hopeless in every situation instead of just situations that really don't have the possibility for a change. Um, mania or bipolar disorder is feeling you know, exuberant even in situations that don't warrant it. So, um, but in terms of resilience, we can use this knowledge that you know, emotions can change pretty rapidly if we change the way we think or change what we do. Um, so if we're in a situation where we feel that our, the negative emotions we're experiencing have outlived their usefulness, then we can think, okay, what, well, how could I think differently or act differently to call forth a different uh, emotion that might um, produce more pleasantness or joy? And so for the thinking side, you could think of, you know, what in my life could be considered a gift to be cherished and you know if you take a moment to think through that question there's usually something that can bring a smile to your face um and you know sometimes in terms of acting differently it can just be like oh i need to stand up from my computer at my desk and go stretch or stand outside and <laughs> changing your context right. so changing your mind or changing your context can help um quickly usher away 
a negative emotion. That's what we've called the undo effect of positive emotions. Right. So actually, I'd like to, I'd like to let's maybe delve into that a little more. So you, you've spoken about, you know, changing the way we think and the impact that that can have on, in, in turn, changing our emotional state. So uh, bringing that to, of course, the, the reality that so many of us are living through uh, today, major pandemic, no clear end in sight, um, uh, lots of, uh, let's say, nationwide collective discussion on race and inequality happening in the US now and, and in other parts of the world, um, lots of polarization politically, um, right? A very trying time for many. And uh, I would say the effects, right, both individually and collectively seem to be piling up, right? There were, so many people are going through loss and grief, a lot of the, let's say, so-called negative emotions that, you know, that, that you mentioned. Um, and lots of increase from what we've seen in, in terms of, you know, acts of defiance and anger and rage and all of that. So given all your experience and your research, um, and you just touched on this a little bit, but I'm wondering if you could go into a little bit more, you know, in terms of from, from your perspective and your view of what's going on, are there prescriptive tools around, you know, in positive psychology and in understanding positivity and positive emotions better that we could easily utilized to counter some of this. And, and to your question, or to your point about the usefulness of negative emotions, um, you know, how do we move to a state of positive emotion without it being false, right? And with it, with it being authentic and not just simply uh, pretending that nothing, you know, challenging is happening. Yeah, yeah. One of the um, um, things that I think it can be easily uh, a problem with the field of positive psychology is that people are uh, sometimes tempted to too quickly just sweep away the negative and put on <laughs> put in on a positive and and you what you say is exactly um, an important reminder is that the the source of positivity needs to be authentic and that often comes from being contextually appropriate. Um, and that we, um, ironically, we help our negative emotions uh, move through us quicker through acceptance, um, accepting the way we feel, realizing that it's, uh, it's totally fitting to be really sad or restless or um, outraged in certain situations, that that's not in and of itself a problem if it becomes a way of life or a feeling of the entire day as opposed to certain moments, then that is more problematic because it's not necessarily fitting our exact circumstances. And we have to really think through what are our exact circumstances. I mean, we do, we are living in the pandemic. We are living in this great time of racial um, reckoning and, and uh, reconsideration in the U S and yet we need, it's sometimes more helpful to think of, okay, in this moment, I'm sitting in a chair, looking at the clouds, <laughs> having an interesting conversation, you know, that, that those broader um, overarching contextual factors don't necessarily define each one of our moments. And so the way that we can um, cultivate more resilience, even now, and, and my my team and I have been collecting data on this in the last couple months as 
people have been experiencing lockdown and dealing with new new ways of behaving in public in terms of distance and masks. And um, what we're finding is that people who devote more time to self-care are doing better um, than people who devote less time to self-care. And that might be, you know, engaging with your hobbies or it could be spiritual activity. Or, um, well, another big difference that we're finding between people who are more or less resilient right now is the quality of people's interactions with others, you know, with others who they're in lockdown with and with others who they connect with um, maybe through digital means or uh, through their interactions in the community, even though those are different now, um, that when people can co-experience positive emotions, those kinds of states, which I've called both positivity resonance in the kind of jargon scientific uh, name and also love 2.0 in a more um, provocative name of getting people to rethink that these small moments of connection are actually um, super important for building community, building health, building mental health, creating resilience. So we, we find that um, they're especially important for creating positive mental health um, boosting that um, more so than reducing negative mental health um, uh, that, that they seem to be especially good at helping people go from ho-hum to flourishing. Mm. Beautifully said. And, and I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, one of the, one of the most unfortunate terms that was adopted is social distancing, yeah. right? Yeah. I, you know, physical distancing. Yes but why we decided to call it social distancing or who came up with that term, I don't really know. Because as you said, this, um, and I really like the way you put it, you know, the co-experience of positive emotions, which does necessitate not just, not nearly or only the experience of me sitting in a chair watching the sunset by myself, but sharing that with others. Um, and that there's still ways to do that even under, you know, under lockdown and, and, and everything else. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, my sense is this public health experts came up with the social distancing <laughs> that, well, we're getting the virus from social interaction. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, yeah, we psychologists really hate that term. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just switching topics a little bit uh, related, but a little bit different um, in our remaining time. There's, there's, a, there's a, a question that I have for you and maybe it's a larger topic than we really have time for, but I'd like to introduce it and, and you know, hear your response. So I'm really, I'm very personally fascinated by the relationship between love and fear. Uh -huh. And um, I, I speak about it a lot myself and in my own, you know, sort of public speaking and, and, uh, and, and, and it's in our work and, and the trainings that we, that we give and, and teach when we work um, with children overseas. And, um, I see, it, I see it like a dance, right? And that when we're able to work to uncover and, and address those fears um, that if we dig deep enough and long enough um, and with some level of integrity and authenticity and all that, that, we, that there's this like river of love underneath waiting there for us. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, you know, when you think about um, broaden, broaden and build theory, 
and just as a researcher on positive emotions, you know, how do you see this relationship between love and fear? And, and, and is it similar to the way I'm describing you or do you see it from a different angle or um, related, not related? Yeah, no, I definitely see it from a related way, but I guess from a different angle as a affective scientist, um, one of the preconditions for the experience of most positive emotions is perceived safety which is exactly what you don't have when you're afraid <laughs> you <know> that, <laughs> that there's uncertain safety or clear danger. And um, especially for these co-experienced positive emotions, I think one of the most poignant obstacles for people really feeling joy together, um, which is, to me is feeling um, experiences of love and connection is that, people don't feel safe being vulnerable with another person. Um, so we know that people who are clinically depressed or socially anxious feel less safe in when they encounter um, a new person. Um, we also know from John Cassiopo's work that people who are chronically lonely also feel less safe when they have the opportunity to interact with someone new, which is, you know, really heartbreaking to think that they're really craving connection, mm, but don't sure. feel safe enough to take that risk. That any kind of uh, social interaction comes with the risk of um, being rejected or belittled or something. So you're always taking a bit of a risk when you, you know, enter into an, a, a new social interaction. That's why we often, you know, spend the most of our time just with the same people over and over again, because we forged some safety there. But right. when we can forge a sense of safety in a broader circle, um, like you said, deal with those fears, then the, the possibility for love and connection is just so pervasive, so abundant. I mean, any possible, any, any human interaction could, could <laughs> include this if we let it. So that's, I think, where your, yeah. your framing really makes sense. Nice. So let me, um, we're just about out of time. So let me ask you one more question, put you on the spot. If there was one thing that you could do or suggest, recommend, um, or that we could all do, if there was one thing that we could all do to build a more loving, um, kind world, what would you suggest? Yeah. Well, the, the thing that my team and I are working on now is studying whether if you um, just encourage people to spend more time forging positive connections with strangers and acquaintances, that doing that repeatedly, which is enjoyable in and of itself, is an education in virtue, is something that helps people become more pro-social. It's not like you have to be pro-social and other focused to begin with, but if you, the more you um, spend time in daily life having these positive moments of connection, the more two months later you will be um, uh, altruistic, um, feeling like you are sort of part of your community and more humble um, because you're also not thinking that your your 
better or higher than others. You're more on an equal plane with others. And so positive connections with others, just affectively rewarding in and of themselves, build these um, pro-social resources or pro-social virtues that help us become better community members. So I do think that one key way that we can begin to heal as a society is to find those ways to make ourselves feel safe and comfortable being vulnerable with, um, with new people we meet and treat those as important opportunities, not wastes of time. I think a lot of times we think of those interactions as, um, as irrelevant wastes of time. And I think that is part of what has allowed our culture to ha grow so many fissures in it. Beautifully said. And, and yeah, as I'm listening to you, I, I can really see that as something that creates a wave, right? As you do that and that, or you act more pro-social or take those opportunities to, to be, you know, to take essentially a, a, a risk with someone who is a stranger and they in turn may uh, you know, that affects their emotional state and then may make them more available to meet others and so on. And so uh, you could sort of see a wave of, of linkages there and, and hopefully over time, some kind of yeah, transformation. For sure, for sure. We've seen that um, even within one person, the days on which they have more of these positive connections are the days in which they're more pro-social, more virtuous, and less self-absorbed. Um, so it, they do help to, and then if you give people the challenge to create these more often, they also um, uh, grow in those directions as well. So there is a causal effect. Nice. Well, thank you, Barbara. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. You're one of my favorite people in the field, and I love your work. And very appreciative of you joining us today. Yeah, thanks for the great questions and the fun chance to have a conversation. Great. Thanks so much, Barbara. All right. Bye-bye.